Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you together. And God, we do thank you for your word that you've given to us. And Lord, we ask that tonight you would help us to hear from you. God, we pray that you would help us to hear with ears that can hear, to have minds that can understand, and hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. God, that even tonight, that by your word and by your spirit, you would continue to form and shape us into the people that you've created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. My name is Joe McGee. For those of you who don't know me, I'm from First Presbyterian Church of El Dorado, Texas. And now, <laughs> I want to tell you what we're going to go through here. Um, first of all, I want to go over a bit of what our theme is about. Second, I want to tell you some dumb stuff about me. Third, I want to tell you some awesome stuff about Jesus. And fourth, I want to give you a chance to hear from Jesus tonight. So, first, go over the theme. Does anybody know what the theme is this year? The theme this year is not woo, but that was a great guess. <laughs> Be an example, that's right. Be an example. And it's one thing to hear that and go, yeah, I can be an example. I'll just go do whatever I do, and, you know, other people should do that, like me. That's what I should do, right? But it actually comes from 1 Timothy 4.12. Anybody know 1 Timothy 4.12? A <laughs> bunch of you in here are like, I know kind of, and there's some of you who are like, I know it totally, but I'm not about to say that right now. That's fine. This is one of those verses that actually gets used a lot in youth ministry context, and for good reason, and it's because it is a verse that actually specifically talks about, like, talks to someone who is young and says, hey, young person, as a young person, here's how you ought to live while you are a young person. And there's not a lot of verses that specifically call that out, and so this is one of them. That's why it gets used a lot. Here's what it is. Um, it says, it's Paul talking to a guy named Timothy who's younger, and he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And anybody who's young hears that part of the verse and goes, yeah, that's right. Right? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, and you're, yeah, I shouldn't let anybody look down on me. How many of you have ever felt like generations that are older than you look down on your generation? You felt that? I'll let you... <laughs> <laughs> Kids today. Yeah. I'll let you in on a little secret, though. You are not the first generation to have that experience. When your grandparents were your age, their grandparents' generation was going, ah, kids today, <laughs> and looking down on them. Here's the crazy thing. I actually just finished reading a book that was written in the 1800s in Russia. Don't ask. And sometimes it's what you do. And in this book, some of the characters in the 1800s in Russia were talking about how today's youth are just too soft because, you know, nowadays we have trains and so they get everywhere so fast and they, don't, they just don't know the struggle that we had to go through. And I'm sitting there going, 1800s in Russia? Yeah, I don't think they were soft. <laughs> but that's what it is. 
from one generation to the next, there's sort of this uh, tendency to look down on whatever the next generation is. And so I suspect that goes all the way back to Timothy. And so as Timothy, as a young pastor, he's trying to lead people in the way of Jesus, but how does he do that if the people that are older than him, that he's trying to lead people who are older than him, and they want to look down on him because he's young? Oh, who does this guy think he is? He doesn't know anything. So what do you do? Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. So this is where Timothy gets to go, hey, I do get to lead you in the way of Jesus because even though I'm young, I still know what I'm talking about and you should listen to me, right? No. This is where the big example comes in. See, this is what Paul actually tells him. He says, um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but, the version I know, <laughs> it says, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Well, how about that? I mean, think about this. If someone wants to look down on you, but your speech is better than their speech, if your way of life is better than their way of life, the way you conduct yourself in everyday affairs, if uh, the way that you, uh, that you love and care for other people is better than the way that they're loving and caring for other people, if the way that you are living out your faith, the way that everything you're doing, you're showing by how you live, your trust in God in everything, if you're doing that more than they are, if your single-hearted devotion to God is more pure than theirs is, how are they going to look down on that? This is what Paul is telling Timothy, that even if somebody is wanting to look down on them, they won't be able to. That's how you don't let anyone look down on you, is because you actually set an example for them by actually following the way of Jesus uh, as you can. Like it's, it's, you don't have to wait to get old to do that. It says, as a young person, you can be following Jesus in a way that you are setting an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, I told you I want to go a little bit over our theme, but I also want to tell you, like, we're starting with this because we want to start well. This is where I get to tell the dumb stuff on me. So if we are, if you want to start something well, this is the very beginning of impact. We want to start this whole thing well. If you've been in athletics at all, you know that if you're cross-country or track, you take off off the line, and you get tripped up, and you down you go. I know several people in this room who've had that happen. Then you spend the rest of the race trying to play catch-up, right? We don't want to do that in life. We don't want to do that this week in impact. We want to start well. Uh, here's the dumb thing on me, though. This is how I started college, was not well. How many of y'all are starting college this coming fall? Anybody? Yeah, I thought there might be a few of you in this room. Some of you already have started. Some of you are going in a few years. My particular story goes like this. When I was in high school, the place I went was, it was a high school where the question was never, are you going to college? It was, where are you going to college? It was just a place where that's what everybody did next. And so I went to college with absolutely zero plan. No idea what I wanted to do, no idea where I wanted to go, didn't even apply to college. Missed all the deadlines and was like, well, wonder how this is gonna work out. And then, 
had taken this one test one time. My grades were not great. I took this one test, and a college nearby sent me a letter and said, hey, we will pay for you to come to school here. And I was like, oh, well, then I guess they got to accept me. <laughs> and so that's where I went. Again, zero plan. I had no idea what the whole college thing was about. That's just what everybody did. And so I guess I'll just do that. Sound familiar? Anybody been through things like that? I don't know why I'm here. I'm just here. I don't know why we do this. We just do. I don't know. That's how I went to college. And so it went probably about as well as you expect. I went to class when I felt like it. And I paid attention in class when I felt like it. And the less I did those things, the less I felt like it. So by the end of the first semester, they sent me a letter saying, um, yeah, with those kinds of grades, we are not going to continue to invest in you if you are not going to invest in you. <laughs> that's not the way they put it, but that's what they meant. So they said, you have one more semester to get your grades up or no more scholarship. And I said, great, one more semester. <laughs> And so, I, the next semester, I went to class even less, got even worse grades. By the end of the first uh, year of college, I was supposed to keep a 3.0 average to keep my scholarship, and I had a, a cumulative average for my freshman year of a 1.6. <laughs> yeah. My point is, don't do what I did. <laughs> because at that point, they sent me another letter saying, no more scholarship for you. I was like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but now I need another plan. And also at that point, the college I was going to also called me in and said, we need to talk. Um, you're not just losing your scholarship here. Now you're on probation with the school. If you get grades like this again, you don't get to keep coming to school here. You're out. Well, I, I don't know what else I'm going to do. I got I to gotta do something. And so at this point, that's when I had to start kind of taking a step back and going, why am I going to school? What is this whole thing about? Why do they have classes? What is this whole education thing? And yeah, it's pretty sad that I was at that age and had no idea, but whatever. I'm older and wiser now. But at that point... That's where I was, and I spent the rest of my college career trying to dig my way out of a hole that I dug my freshman year. An Ill <laughs> that is a phrase that makes no sense to me. How do you dig yourself out of a hole? But whatever, that's the way the language works, so that's what I'm going to say. I spent three years digging myself out of a hole that I dug my freshman year, and I managed to make it, ended up going on from there uh, to seminary where I actually knew why I was there and had a much, much better start, night and day experience between college and seminary. Here's my point. I went to college, no idea why I was going, no idea why I was there, and it did not go well, and I then had to play catch-up the whole rest of the time. There are a lot of people who go to church every week, no idea why. I don't know, this is what we do. There are a lot of people who don't go to church and don't understand why anybody else does. There are people who've come to impact for years. I don't know, it's just what we do. And some of you are here for your first time, and you have no idea why you're here. I don't know, so-and-so said I should come, so I'm here. I don't know. 
So here's what I want you to do. <laughs> I want you to start well. I want you to start well, not like I did. In fact, those of you who are going to college next year, I want you to start that well. But not just for those of you. If you are starting your freshman year of college next year, or if you are starting eighth grade next year, start well. If you are starting a job when you get back from impact, whether it is a summer job or whether, whether this is your lifelong career, start it well. The next thing that you are going to start, start it well. And actually starts tonight with impact. But how do we start well? With any of it. It's knowing what it's about. Knowing why we do what we do. Does anybody know what impact stands for? There we go. Making people aware of Christ's truth. That's right. That's what it's about. But of course, we can't make people aware of Christ's truth if we don't know Christ's truth. Right? And we can't... <laughs> oh my goodness. It's even worse than that. It's worse than not just being able to let people know Christ's truth if we don't know Christ's truth. We cannot serve in his name without knowing him. Did you know that? It's actually worse than that. We can do it, but it's something that Jesus himself warns against. And he actually has a name for people who do that. Do you know what he calls people who serve in his name but don't know him? Evildoers. We do not want to be evildoers this week. We'll go over that in a bit. But here's the deal. I told you I was going to tell you about Jesus and how awesome he is. This is, uh, you've heard the dumb stuff on me already. We're, we're done with that. So the awesome stuff about Jesus, though. See, this is where if we don't know him, we can still try to serve in his name. We can still do things in his name, but it comes off horribly. Here's an example, and this is what tends to happen, and this goes back to the theme, week, uh, the theme for this week, too, of be an example. Because if we don't know him, the example that we set is not one that reflects well on him. And so, for example, in uh, John chapter 8, you have this woman who has been brought before Jesus because she's been caught in adultery. You know this story? They bring her to Jesus, and now we've got these two groups of people, and Jesus is kind of caught in the middle. And then the people saying, you know, the law of Moses says that we're supposed to stone such people as this. What do you think? And now Jesus has to answer. And this is, by the way, this is one of those things that sounds horrible, like, oh, we would never do that. Right? We don't do things like that today. We would never throw rocks at somebody until we crush them. That's right. We don't do that. If you've been thinking about it, stop. But today, what we do instead, you know, we say sticks and stones may break my bones. Words, words never hurt me, right? And so, of course, we're not going to throw rocks and sticks at each other to crush people's bodies. What we do instead is we hurl words at them until we crush their souls. How much... Have you experienced this personally? How much have you been a part of this? Where we throw our words just the same way they threw rocks at the people who, after all, deserve it. And then when they are crushed, we can kind of step back, wipe our hands, and go, I mean, all I said was this. That wouldn't have been enough to do anything. It's just that everybody around me was doing it too, which is what made it easier for me to do it. And it was also the cumulative weight of all of that. 
that crushed him. Yeah, this is not a long ago and far away kind of thing. This is what happens today. We do this. And we do it in the same way that they did it. Uh, we just use the words instead of the rocks. But then here's the other part that's just like today. We have these two groups, and they come before Jesus. And really the question is, like, who's in the right here? I mean, these people probably have heard, of, because they bring this as a test, probably because they've heard of Jesus as being, you know, soft on sin. He's got all this grace and mercy kind of thing. He's probably going to let her off the hook. But we know that in God's law, it says she needs to die for her sin. So what's he going to do? Who's in the right? Who's in the wrong? It's amazing. We do this, don't we? We, all, we bring two groups up in front of Jesus, and we're like, all right, Jesus, it's our side that's right, isn't it? It's the other side that's wrong on a thousand different things. It's amazing. You read through the New Testament, read through the Gospels, how many times two groups come before Jesus, and they're wanting to know which one of us is right, and he doesn't ever take a side. And he doesn't in this one either. What he says is, basically, yeah, she does deserve to die for her sins. So go ahead and throw the stones. But only the person who hasn't ever sinned gets to throw the first one. After that, everybody can pile on. Well, who there hasn't sinned? Only Jesus. Does he throw a stone? He does not. So nobody else gets to join in. Everybody else walks away going, well, I guess that's it for us. So they walk away, and then he looks at the woman. Is there no one left to condemn you? He could, I guess. She says, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. So who does he say is in the right? Which group? Neither. Neither. Why is it that both groups didn't understand? Why is it that the group that thought they were doing it in Jesus' name didn't understand? Even though they were doing it in God's name, it's because they did not understand about Scripture and the power of God, is what Jesus tells others. It is because they do not understand who Jesus is and what it means to be a part of the kingdom that he is bringing. Why is it nobody understood about the grace and the mercy that he has for her, and yet still without being soft on sin? They didn't understand. We were singing earlier, uh, oh, how he loves us. I kind of stepped back and I surveyed the room. And my heart was breaking for the number of people in this room who were probably singing those words and thinking they didn't apply to you. Because we don't understand about the kingdom that Jesus came to bring, a kingdom that changes everything. Do you know what year this is? This is not a trick question. 2022. You know, people used to, the way they used to do dating of things is uh, by whoever was the king at the time. And so if you go back in your Old Testament, it even has this in there where it'd be like, oh, in the seventh year of King so-and-so, this happened. Or in the 23rd year of King so-and-so, this is what happened. And that's how you knew when it was in history. This is the year 2022 in the year of 
our Lord. A.D., that's what that stands for in Latin, is Anno Domini. In the year of our Lord, we still do our dating by who is the king, by the kingdom of God. That's what we're dating things on. And there are people, of course, you've heard of this, of how not everybody does the A.D. thing anymore. It's like, oh, no, we don't want to connect it to Jesus because uh, we don't want to follow him. So what we'll do instead is we'll uh, do the before the common era and then the common era. So we still use the same numbers. We'll just use different letters. That, that'll get around Jesus. But even the people who are really doing that for that reason, I mean, you can do that for other reasons too, <laughs> but people who are doing it for that reason still can't get around Jesus because even when they're using those numbers, they're acknowledging that everything in world history changes with the life, ministry, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That there is a before Jesus time and there is an after Jesus time. That he changes everything. And the reason he changes everything is because he is the one who is the king of this kingdom. Anybody ever seen uh, the old Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie? Yeah, it's great. If, uh, what's really fun is to read Exodus a bunch and then watch that movie and go, where do they get that? Anyway, <laughs> they explain that at the beginning of the movie, but anyway. But the, one of the things that Pharaoh says in that movie all the time is, so let it be written so let it be done. You know that line? So let it be written, so let it be done. In other words, whatever it is that the Pharaoh has just said, that's what's going to happen because he is the one who's in charge. He is the king over all of it. I mean, if you've ever walked into a coffee shop where a lot of old guys are talking about stuff, and you're like, hey, what are you doing? They always say the same thing. Oh, we're solving all the world's problems, right? Because they got ideas about everything. That's not just true for there. <laughs> you do that with all kinds of groups of people, and this is what we do. We're like, oh, you know, if they would just do this in Washington, or if, if they would just do this in Austin, if they would just do this over there, whatever. We got it all figured out. But you know what? Our ideas, the things that we say, aren't changing it because we're not the ones in charge. But then there will be somebody else who's like, oh, what they say, that's what it is. I mean, we have the uh, board of directors up here earlier. Like, if any one of you out there had been like, hey, I think next year we should be in Forestburg for impact. Great. You think that all you want to. But it's when they make the decision, it's in Forestburg, then guess where it's going to be? It's in Forestburg. <laughs> That's who has the decision-making authority. And so uh, when you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the whole Bible opens up, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. <laughs> and it goes on from there. Ten times in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks. And when he says, this is how it is, then that's how it is. Because he is the king over all of creation. And when Jesus speaks. He is the king over the kingdom of heaven. This is what he came preaching, and when he came preaching, he preached as though he was the one that people ought to be listening to, as though what he said goes, as though he actually has authority as the king. And so, if we are going to start well, I think we ought to listen to Jesus. 
If we are going to serve in his name as representatives of this king and representatives of this kingdom, of the one who's actually doing everything to fix this broken world, I mean, that's really what we're doing this week, right? As we go out and we are cleaning up yards and we're painting houses that need to be painted, all of it. It's like, yeah, that's neat. We, di- we, did a, uh, we got a yard mode. Great. We got a house painted. Great. But it's so much more than that when you understand that it's not just about painting houses. It's not just about mowing yards. But it's about taking what's broken and restoring it as a sign of what Jesus is doing in this whole world and including in our own lives. That's what it's all pointing to. That's what it's all about. That's how we're making people aware of Christ's truth. So as we're thinking about making or setting examples, I want us to hear uh, from Jesus where he talks. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as Matthew records it for us, and uh, this is the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. So as he starts, he wants everybody to start understanding what this is all about. And he begins, kind of like Paul with Timothy, saying, don't let anyone look down on you. (laughs) There's another way of looking at things in the eyes of this kingdom. And so he starts by going through various groups of people that the world tends to look down on. And he says, actually, in the kingdom of God, you are blessed. And he goes on from there, and he talks about how they need to, uh, those who are following him, who are part of this kingdom, are actually the light of the world. He talks about how he actually did not come to do away with the whole of the Old Testament, but that all of it points to him. Uh, this is, <laughs> let's just see what happens. If I go, dun, 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 dun. I did not tell you to do that. But you had to, didn't you? This is the best example I've ever heard. I did not come up with it. I wish I had. But uh, <laughs> the best example I've ever heard of how the whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Because when you read the Old Testament, whether you're reading the entire thing or whether you're reading any part of it, it's like every part of it and the whole of it all together is going dun da da dun dun and then it just hangs there. And you're going, but that's not, that can't be it. There's got to be something that finishes the whole thing. And then you open up the New Testament, and it goes, Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's so cool. That's really how it is. And so you go back, and you start looking at things very differently. You start looking at the story of David, and you're like, oh my goodness, this could be the guy. This could be the king that we need. And then you get to the end of the David story, and you're like, that that really leaves me thinking there needs to be somebody not him. (laughs) You read about Moses, and you're like, this is great. We need somebody who can deliver us and rescue us. And you get to the end of the Moses story, and you're like, but it's it's not him. He even tells us there's going to be somebody who comes that's greater. You read about Elijah, and as great as Elijah is, it's like there's got to be somebody else. Every story throughout the Old Testament and the whole of it together leaves us hanging, going, <laughs> it's, it's incomplete. But if you go and you read it, and then you go over and you're reading what Jesus is saying and doing, and you see how his 
life and death and resurrection fit in with all that? Jesus, it resounds. The whole thing comes together, and you go, ah, now I see it's not just like there are some prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. It's the whole thing. And so then Jesus is talking about the one who actually has authority, goes into explaining to the people who are following him what it looks like to actually live as a part of this kingdom, to actually live as people who are changed from the inside out all the way to the level of the heart, where there are plenty of people who like to play and pretend that they're following Jesus, and the world will applaud you for it often. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, if you're really going to follow me, that looks different than the people who are doing it for show. And when he gets to the end of this sermon, he says, there are a lot of people who are going to hear his words. Some will put them into practice in their lives. Some won't. And their lives will be very different. This is, um, as I say, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the way that Matthew records this for us, he, Jesus is baptized, he goes out into the wilderness, and then he got, starts preaching. After his temptation, he comes back and he starts preaching. And in verse 17, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then he goes and he calls some disciples. And then in verse uh, 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all those who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So there are all these crowds who are following him who have heard some about him, maybe who have seen some of the things he's done, and are wondering, who is this guy? What is this really all about? Like I say, I want you to hear from him tonight, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that you are not here. That it is not tonight. That you have somehow been transported back 2,000-ish years to the other side of the world. That you are sitting on a slope on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And that you have come as a part of a crowd of people to check out this Jesus guy. Who is he? What's he about? Is this guy for real? While you're sitting there, you can hear the birds chirping. You can feel the breeze on your face. You can see the trees swaying you can see the flowers that are blooming.
as Matthew records it. It says, as Jesus, and when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer. You may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to, lo to lose one part of your body. No, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than... <laughs> now, hold on a second. We've got to back up. I'm... If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. There we go. Thank you, Anna. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It, is, it was not a sound effect of a cutting off a hand. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, it has been, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one and uh, hate the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. <laughs> Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, oh, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. 
Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Amen. We're going to dismiss you to your church group times now, okay? So um, if you'll just head to where Rashonda told you to go.